You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So just just to confuse you, I'm preaching now. We will, we will worship more after the end of the message. And it was funny listening to Pastor Chris trying to give the announcements after singing that fast song. And to tell you how least often I do this, I was out in the parking lot talking to folks and realized <laughs> I got to get in there and preach. Uh, so, so I had to catch my breath as well. If you're, if you're with us online, our online campus, I'll go ahead and tell you to uh, we'll be receiving communion at the end of worship today. If you want to go ahead and get some elements ready for that, um, the last time we did that, I didn't, I didn't tell the online campus. I was told by people on the online campus I didn't tell them that, that we were going to do communion. Uh, I, I forgot that we don't get to serve it to them. They have to go find it themselves. Uh, so you can do that now. This morning wraps up our beginning of year fast. Um, some of you may have started early. Um, uh, I don't, I, or I didn't this particular time, so today is the end of that fast. And I always treat that fast kind of as, as a first fruits offering kind of to the Lord. I kind of give him um, those, those 21 days at the beginning of January. This is the 17th consecutive year Gene and I have done that. Um, and it really kind of began out of we were going to go do something we'd never done before. So we thought we probably ought to try something we've never tried before. And what that's turned into for us, there's been a ripple effect. It's, it's not something just impacts January. It ends up impacting the whole year. Um, so this one today, um, I used to try to, you know, there's been years I haven't wanted to do it. There's been years where I wanted to work it around my schedule, particularly between the national championship game and the Super Bowl. But um, when I've worked me around the fast, that's when it's had the biggest impact on me. Fasting is a spiritual discipline, which means it takes practice. You, you, you kinda, you kinda, it's something you kind of learn as you go on not just its impact, but how to, how to do it, how to approach God. It's something um, that's turning into a life lesson for me. What, one of the things I've learned, though, is God has never disappointed me after or enduring a fast. That, that intentional of giving and changing of routine, there's always been an impact uh, for me. So, but I wanted you to be very particular that, that renewal, this, this theme, if you will, this word from the Lord, it's, it sounds kind of trivial to call it a theme, but it isn't, just a, it isn't just a January thing, and I don't even believe it's just a this year thing. What, what I really sense in my spirit is that it's, it, it is a beginning thing. It, it, it's, it's not going to be kind of in and out of our lives. It's going to represent our life, and I don't know if you want to latch on to that or not, but I sure do. Um, I taught you that renewal at the very beginning, that renewal is something that we receive. It's not something we achieve. Okay? So, so it is something that we have to posture ourselves and position ourselves for, but it's not something we go get on our own. We, and fasting was one of those ways in which we position ourselves for renewal. Next week, we finish this series. This week, next week, we begin a series we're calling Roots, um, the stories of renewal. And... If you find yourself saying, no one, knows, um, no one knows who I am, no one knows where I am, no one knows my story, no one understands 
where I am. If you find yourself saying those kind of words, this really is a series for you. Why? Because what we're going to do is take seven figures out of the genealogy of Christ and demonstrate how renewal is a consistent theme throughout Scripture and how renewed people lead us to renewal. These will lead us to Christ. And I will guarantee you, out of these seven stories, you will find your story. You will find your place. You might not identify with everything about that individual, of who he is or who she is, but I guarantee you, in these seven, you'll say, oh, yeah, that's, that's me. And that's an important thing, because what the enemy wants to do is keep us isolated or alone, feeling like that no one's ever been this road before, which we all have experienced that emotion, and none of that emotion is true. Okay? And we'll see that in those, in those seven stories. This morning, though, I'm wrapping up this section. I preached the very first one um, of the renewal series. I preached it actually December 27th, where we, had a, we, had a, um, we didn't have an in-person service, put it online. And it was in that that I brought forward a particular passage of Scripture out of the book and from the prophet Isaiah. Because in reading that, that is what struck me of what renewal looks like. And, you know, um, in order to pursue something new or different that's going to require you to do something new and different, to me it's always been good when I can see kind of what the end looks like, right? When you can kind of see or get anticipation what the end looks like, that's kind of the motivation to do all the hard stuff of positioning to get there, right? And so here is the, the, back, the back part of Isaiah chapter 40. Um, the Lord is speaking to begin with. This is from the prophet Isaiah. Who, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? See how we're, we're all in this boat, right? Why, why, my way is hid, why, uh, why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. There's always times in our life where we feel like we are in isolation, that we are hidden and isolated from God. Those, those emotions, they're real. They're just not true. Okay? And so, and so those, those will lead us that we're in a position where we need renewal. And verse 28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? Now we can run through that word, but here's what I've learned. I have, my life, I've circled in and out of the life of God in my time. But God has never circled in and out of my life during that time. Right? Why? Because he is the everlasting lasting God. He's not the intermittent God. It's not when you put your wipers on auto if you have that kind of feature in your car and when enough rain hits your windshield, they come on automatically. We don't get to set God on that intermediate automatic setting. We try to. We try to. But when we go to the Father, when we go to the Father, the everlasting Father, things happen. He goes on, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired are weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Have you ever said, you just don't understand? The only time I think that's an appropriate response to anybody is when they're trying to short sell your position, right? When they're trying to give you an easy fix to a complex issue, and they, they, they think after talking to you for two and a half minutes, they've got the solution to it. Those people, you have full permission. You don't understand. But we find ourselves saying that to the Lord. You don't understand. And this says, his understanding no one can fathom. All right? So that means if his understanding is no one can fathom, that means he fathoms your understanding. All right? And so now, now we really get to. Now well, he's established, God has established who he is, and now he establishes what he does. He gives strength to the weary and increases power 
of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, so there's a position, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will have their strength renewed, whose hope is in the Lord. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint or be faint. So here is, here is kind of a, the demarcation of what it feels like and to experience renewal, and that's what puts you on the path where I want that, right? I want that. What position do I need to be in for that? Um, this morning, I want to teach you a pattern of living, something that you can do consistently that will renew your strength and increase your hope. You can do it consistently, and it's worship. Worship is the low-hanging fruit of renewal because you can worship in any context, in any setting, in any circumstance because it's not circumstance-dependent, setting-dependent, it's heart-dependent, okay? So, so there isn't any position or any place you can be that can dictate to you on worship. That's why I consider it a low-hanging fruit of renewal because I, it's all about me then. It's all about me, my choice, my decision. that I will step into this with worship. And I want to teach you three different ways today in, to approach worship as renewal. Three different ways to approach worship as renewal. Um, now, everything we do on Sunday um, is worship. Now, worship is a very broad context to speak from. When you open the book of Genesis, you can read worship. You can wor- read worship all the way through Revelation and everywhere in between. There's not a book or letter or song or proverb in Scripture that won't lead us to this area of, of worship. So I understand that worship is more than singing songs and music. Okay, We'd all agree, right? Worship is more than singing songs and worship. But would you also agree that music, songs, and, wor- and singing is their worship? So we're going to live there today, okay? We're going to live there today. And worship is, is, is what we are pulled and called into. So um, when you ch- made the decision today to get up, get dressed, and come into this setting together, that was worship. You had made a decision You've come, this is worship. As soon as you online clicked on the link to get into our service format, that was worship, all right? So all those are beginnings of worship, but worship doesn't end there. That's where worship begins. Now, when we read Psalm 100, which is one of the most um, prolific psalms read around worship, we're even told how to do this, right? It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. That's amazing to me. We'll read that scripture and we say, shout to the Lord, all the earth. And, and that is not in the spirit in which it was written or done. It was shout for joy. It gives us the beginnings. It gives us the beginnings of worship here. Shout for joy to all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. No. No is not just an intellectual no. It's an, it's a, it's an uh, experiential no. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We have an identity. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then he refers to entering the gates, 
So when you walk in the door of the church, when you click the portal to come into uh, the source service, that's entering. You enter his gates with worship, but it's not the end game. Entering is not the end game. It's the beginning game. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with prayer, with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the why. Why would we do that? For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout generations. Kind of a, a euphemism for it. It, it, it has no, no ending. It, it, will, it will continue and continue and continue. So God's goodness, his love, and his faithfulness is why we worship. He deserves it. Listen, and he commands it. 40% of the Ten Commandments deal with worship. So, so why would God command us to worship? Does he, does he somehow, is, is he lacking something, some, some, something in his personality that, that is not complete unless we worship? No, those commands come from the posture of a loving father because he knows this. He knows that false worship, false worship sinks you and me. That when we neglect worship, it empties you and me. When we reject worship, it separates us from God. So the commandment is from a loving father that says, I don't want you sunk or separated or empty. And worship is a renewal path. There's always more to God than what you're experiencing right now. There's always more to God than what I'm experiencing right now. Last week, I, when I preached out of Jonah on renewal purpose, I told you that the whale, which we normally see as... Um, as uh, something harmful or, or the punishment of God, I told you that it was Jonah's aqua uber. And this week, worship is the monorail into God's presence. The monorail. Um, I don't know. My, my mother and grandmother thought it necessary for my development to take me to Disney World, and I was like five. And I don't think we had two nickels to rub together, but by God, it seems in America, if you don't go to Disney World, you are not a good parent. I don't understand it, but I think I took Annie when she was around five. And when they told me how much was to get in, I asked, I said, and you can smile and ask for that much money? Right? So um, we got in after all this anticipation of watching Disney stuff on TV, and we got, we got in, you know, go to the turnstile, and I was highly disappointed. Highly disappointed. When I got in the turnstile, I said, this is it? I mean, at five, I still was, I mean, I was full-blown sarcasm. This is it? And then we got on the monorail. And then you get on the monorail, you go, there's the castle. And then you get on Main Street and go, okay, okay, I'll take Disney World, right? <laughs> when, when we come to Christ in salvation, when you start exploring even if God is real or not, you have not got on the monorail yet. You, you, you're just getting a taste and a flavor like, okay, these people aren't that strange. They, they're, they're normal folks. We've had normal conversations. Okay. And then when you start leaning into worship, you start leaning into the presence of God, which he's called us forward out of darkness into light, not just out of darkness into a dusk setting, not just a cloudy place to be. He brings us and he calls us into that light. And so I want, us to, I want you to approach music, songs, and singing. I want you to approach it from these three standpoints today around renewal, how we use that portion of our services and your own time alone as renewal. Okay, I'm going to give you three C's because that's what, that's what songwriters try to do too, right? We're trying to give you some alliteration, some handles. So the first way to, renew, to, um, to look at worship is worship as catechism. I really had to look hard for, for a C word for this one. 
But worship is catechism. I'll explain it in a minute. So worship, and just go with me on my grammar, worship learns me. Right? It learns me. Because look, I can teach you, but teaching is one part of the process. Right? You teach for a purpose. Right? You teach so things are learned. And so worship learns me. Worship connects my head to my Lord. And so as catechism, as catechesis, then worship renews my mind. All right, so look, it's a fancy word. How many, how many grew up, you actually grew up and you went to catechism class because it was Lutheran, Catholic, whatever, hands all over both services, right? So you, you get it, right? It's a systematic way of learning. We have, we have different catechisms that were written um, uh, to go through the Apostles' Creed after the Protestant Reformation, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, basic knowledge of the sacraments, and then Martin Luther steps in. He popularizes this with a small catechism, which means it was little, in 1529. The learner is called a catechumen. I told the morning service I want a T-shirt that says catechumen, right? So I'm not a follower, believer, disciple. I mean, I want to cause commotion, you know. I'm catechumen. They'll run from you, but still catechumen. Catechumen's nice. Um, And so... It, again, was the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and they were broken into sections and questions to learn in that manner. So a question was asked, answer was given, and a way in which to learn, to become, all right? So Westminster Shorter Catechism in 1647, this would have been a, a unifying of the Church of England and, and, and those areas to try to refine the teaching. It begins with this great question. You may have heard this before if you come from these traditions. What is the chief end of man was the first question. Isn't it interesting that of all this stuff, you say, well, I've got to learn all this stuff. I've got to learn all this stuff, right? That's catechism, learn all this stuff. But the question that it begins all of this is the question all of us have to grapple with. Why are we here? Why are we here? Why am I here? Why was I born? What's my purpose in life? We spend so much time spinning wheels trying to get that. And here in this first Westminster Shorter Catechism of 1629, see, it's already been answered. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God, and we're going to use the word worship. To worship God and to enjoy him forever. So it's not just go do this stuff. In in doing this worship, we begin to enjoy. These aren't separate things, worship and enjoy. Your two tasks are to worship and enjoy. Now get after enjoying, Eric, right now. Enjoy, right? It's in my worship, I will, in essence, I will enjoy God because in my worship, I am then in his presence. When I'm in his presence, then I start learning more about his character and his identity and seeing this is what worship songs are meant to do, to teach us, to learn us about the character of God, how we interact with God, how he interacts with us, how he sees us. This is a very important part of worship. The next question, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may worship and enjoy him? All right, so if the first one is to worship God and enjoy him forever, does there anybody tell us how to do this? Right? It's a legit question. Answer, the word of God, which is contained in scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, which mean both the Old and New Testaments, teach us how to worship, is the only rule to direct us on how we may glorify God and enjoy him forever. All right, so worship as catechism. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3. So Paul is going to teach this. In this young church, he begins saying, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated 
at the right hand of God. He's saying you have been clothed in Christ. And since you've been clothed in, and clothed in Christ and Christ is above, don't let your heart stay down here. Okay? Lift your heart to where he is. And so he says the same thing about our mind. Um, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. All right? So my mind should be up here with Christ, not down here with all this other stuff. He's seated up here. My mind and heart should be up here with him. He said, for, your, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when it said your life is hidden, you have been clothed in. We've been clothed in Christ. Now it's his identity that surrounds us. And he said, since you've been clothed in Christ and, and, and all of like, who we made ourselves to be is hidden in all who he's made us to be. And since that's the case, don't leave your heart and minds down here with this stuff. Raise your hearts and minds up here with him. Okay? You say, okay, well, that's, I like that. But does he tell you how to do that? Ah, I wouldn't be here if he didn't. You drop down to verse 16 in that same chapter, and he says, let the message of Christ, so all of who Christ is, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Now, when I see the word dwell, the first word that popped in my mind this time, now I've learned dwell. I've looked and parsed it all out. to abide in, to, to remain, to stay. But when I read it this week, it's, it's, it said to me, deep well. Deep well. Let the message of Christ become a deep well. And I would even think for me to be hidden in his deep well. A deep well would be cool. It would be refreshing. Let the message of Christ dwell become a deep well. Well, how does it become this deep well in us? Well, as you teach and admonish. So as you instruct, as you correct. Okay? Teach and admonish. Admonish would also mean to be made mindful of something. So it's not a, a, a ruler on your knuckles. You know, it, it's to put, put in your mind. Okay? How? Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. How do I learn to worship and enjoy the Lord forever? Well, at least in, in a particular case, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, you can parse the differentiation between those three things, but let's just go ahead and say they're all songs, music, songs, and singing, okay? Okay. Um, I've had a couple opportunities to teach and admonish songwriters in retreat settings since living here in Nashville. On one of those occasions, um, I sat with a group of songwriters and I said, be careful what you write because songs are sticky. And I'm addressing catechism. Because songs and the use of songs through scripture is to teach us about the character of God and how we interact with God. So... If you write the wrong stuff, then that wrong stuff is going to impact how people relate to God and what we learn about him. So it's important to write the truth because songs are sticky. From early on in creation, throughout the centuries, old and new will tell you God has ordained singing and songs as catechism. And listen, the danger of modern worship music and the danger of modern preaching is to put us at the center. When we are at the center, we don't learn anything about God. 
and we use God for our source. Now, he is our source, but not to be used of him as our source. He is to be worshipped and to be enjoyed. And when he is the focus, when we're learning about him, you'll be amazed at all the stuff that gets taken care of your own life. So here, because I went over in the first service. So worship as catechism. Approach worship, music, song, singing as catechism. What, what it learns me. And it connects my head to my Lord and it worship renews my mind. Who in here, you would rather not sing anything. You just want to hear the word. And he just teach you, like in general, in general, you just like teaching and information. Anybody in here? Is there anybody going to be honest on a message on worship? No. My mom would have skipped it all. It's like, she would, like, skip it all. Like, I'm not interested in any hymn, any singing. Come on, go, go, go. Okay, she, she wanted to hear preaching. If she didn't, I would have been a singer, but I'm not a singer, so I'm a preacher. <laughs> if you are right-brained, maybe that's an easier one to, um, to get you to admit to. Who's right-brained in here? All right, you, you admitted that easier. Not much easier because you did this. So, so that's learn from the worship. Then. Don't, check, don't turn your brain off. You're not supposed to turn your brain off when we worship. Learn for what we're singing. All right, here's the second one. Worship as celebration. So you got worship and catechism. Worship learns us. Now we got worship as celebration. Worship lifts me. It lifts me. Worship connects my heart to my head, to my Lord. And worship renews my spirit. So in 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 23, I'm going to tell you the story, but to set this story up, when Saul was, when Saul was king over Israel, Saul, um, Saul was not a great king. And um, the Philistines come and they, they take the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, okay? They take the Ark of the Covenant and it's gone for seven months, okay? So this is Israel's identity, it's gone. And it doesn't work well for the Philistines. Because the Ark of Covenant put in their temple just causes a lot of havoc, right? You put the Ark of Covenant in there, your idol's standing up. You walk in the next day, that idol's down. I mean, that's kind of how it went through. It was, it was pretty amazing. So seven months in, they were, at, we're out. We don't want this anymore, right? So, so but Saul, Saul, had already, Saul was already kind of a lost ball in tall weeds. And so for 40 years, for 40 years, then Israel does not have the Ark of the Covenant in their presence. And here comes David. David wasn't just a king. He wasn't just a warrior. He wasn't just a songwriter. He saw himself as he was the nation's worship leader, okay? That his responsibility wasn't just to secure land for Israel, to defeat Israel's enemies, or to write songs. His role as king was to bring that nation back into the presence of God, okay? And so he goes, he goes after the ark. He gets the ark, but he doesn't know how to handle the ark. And in trying to bring the ark back into Jerusalem, something happens that scares him, and he puts it over in this guy's house. It's like parking your RV. It's like you don't have room for RV at your house. You have a friend. You park the RV at his house. It's like Obed-Edom. He said, you, you, you take care of the ark. We're not bringing Jerusalem. I ain't touching that thing no more. And then news starts happening. Man, Obed-Edom. Man, his house is being blessed. You should see his crops. You should see his flocks. You should see his family. And David's going, okay, okay, so... Maybe something was wrong with me. See, when our life isn't going right, a lot of times we look and say, what's wrong with God? Do we ever look at, what's wrong with me? We always assume that we got it all together and God's the one trying to catch up. And I think David was like, maybe something was wrong how I got, went and got the ark. And what he discovers is there was a very specific way in which to handle the ark of the covenant. And he had not done that. So he's like, okay. Let's give this thing another shot. I know how to do this now. Only certain people are supposed to carry this ark. 
So we're going to do it this way, and this is kind of how this story gets told. Now, this is a national celebration. I mean, like everybody, everybody's present for this, okay? All right? And so it begins. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to bring the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Say worship. Say it louder. The reason why I'm telling you that is I told the 9 o'clock, the 11 o'clock was always more enthusiastic, and they really, they really got into it. So you, you can't, like people are watching this, you can't, you can't do it differently. All right. Where'd I go? Okay, when those carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, they stopped and they sacrificed a bull. Say worship. Six, oh man, that was good. So six, so six steps in, David's like, we're going to do it with worship. And just in case everybody forgot, we're going to take six steps and we're going to worship again. All right? Now, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Basically, David would have shed his royal robes, his royal position, and he would assume the position of a priest or a commoner here, okay? So he's changed, he's changed his clothes, if you will, all right? That's going to be important in a minute. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets, which would be what? Yeah, you're a little less confident, but it's still the same answer. I'll give you a hint. All of them is going to be the same answer, okay? So as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw the King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, look, there's a backstory here. Saul was her dad. Saul did not live up to what God wanted as a king. This marriage is together, and this is daddy's girl. Now, she liked, listen, she liked the position of being married to the king she was not fond of being married to the worship leader she was all fine with that prestigious position but once David takes off his kingly robe and assumes the role of a worshiper she was not she was not happy they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord which would be what worship after he finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates. This is to a nation, folks. <laughs> a lot of bacon went on ahead of time. You know what I'm saying? This, was, this wasn't a spontaneous worship service. This thing was planned to the hilt. He gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. It's amazing how generosity follows worship. When David returned home, look, he's blessed the nation. Now he's coming, he's coming to his home. He's ready to bless his home. And he gets met at the door with how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servant as any vulgar fellow would. It's not the best interpretation. He, 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 didn't, he wasn't just running around naked under a t-shirt. This is, this is a direct referral to you have taken off your kingly robe. You have assumed a common position, and I despise it. And David says to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. David knows exactly what's going on here, and he cuts right to the chase. This is not about worship. This is about me and your dad. Okay? He said, 
I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. I am not going to stand before the king of kings wrapped in a robe of kingship. And if you got a problem for this, Michael, Michael, you're going to have a problem with this. And she has a problem with it. And he said, by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Always a significant thing when you read that in Scripture. Now listen. Charles Wesley was said to have written over 6,500 hymns. So Charles Wesley knew a little thing about worship, okay? And Charles Wesley said that the danger of church was not too little emo- or too much emotion. The problem in church service was too little emotion. Okay, so can we take the word of a hymn writer, 6,500 hymns? Listen, I am a third-generation Pentecostal which means spirit-filled, full gospel, however you want to say it, that makes it easier for you to take. Three generations. I've been in plenty of services where the, woo, you know, I mean, I just shared you, scared you. Um, and, I, and, and that's what happens. It scares people. I, I've, been, I've, been in those, I've been in those services, and I've been able sometimes to be able to say, that wasn't about God. But I've been in plenty of them where I said, that was all about God. And I've been in far too many worship services where I would have said, does anyone even know who we're singing to? Are we, are we having any kind of sense of what's happening here, of standing alongside the saints that's gone before us, the angels? That have, Listen, worship's so important to God. We read in Revelation that there isn't a single dialect. There is not a dialect or skin tone missing from around the throne in worship. Not a one. Not one far cried Eastern dialect that you can't. I mean, there are dialects that even have sounds in place of letters. Okay? I've been in a couple countries like that. And those sounds are happening around the throne. So, so when we get a chance, it's not an order of service. This is. It's not part of our liturgy. I mean, singing out loud in public in any hardly other setting, you go, that is a strange person, right? I mean, it's why I believe men don't sing very much out loud, even in church service, because it's like so unnatural. But I'll tell you, but we get in different settings and we do it. And, and you know, I got hammered as a kid, you know. Well, if you're going to go, yay, Georgia Bulldog, you ought to say, yay, God. No, no, no. Here's what I think. Here's how I think happens. What I think happens is someone in a big setting gives somebody permission to express emotion. And they go, oh, I guess it's not all out of place for me to turn, turn my phone on and sway. You know, right? So because someone else, someone else went first. And so you go, oh, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a part of an expression. So, so worship is celebration. Worship, um, worship lifts me. Worship connects my heart to my head. To my Lord, it renews, it renews my spirit. And so, listen, there isn't one style of worship that God prefers over another. How do I know that? Because he would have told us. Right? He would have told us. I understand that a lot of times our worship expressions are more connected to our personality. When I get off this platform, I'm Mr. Introvert. I, I really am. I, I am borderline introvert, extrovert. You know, Harry and Georgetta will tell you we get in big group settings at not church service and I don't want to do anything. 
I don't want to pray for anybody. I don't want to get first in line. I don't want to do any of that. We say, oh, pastor, pray. I always say, isn't there anybody else that knows how to do this? <laughs> right? I mean, somehow, somehow I'm going to be more articulate at it than you are. No, someone else pray, and let me just sit in the corner and eat my cupcake, right? So, so there isn't a, I understand that it can be connected to your personality. What I want you to understand is that that's not where it should stay. That's not where it should stay. So, a growth or movement forward in your worship as celebration might look like that you sing loud enough to hear yourself sing. You don't have to sing loud enough to have for the person next to you to hear you. You know, they don't have to turn around. But I'd encourage you, maybe to sing where you can hear yourself. Um, you know, when I get emotional when I preach, what do I do? I cry. That, that's it. It's just a more social. Well, I don't know if it's socially acceptable or not, right? But, but I could stomp up here and spit and all that, right? And, and anymore, that doesn't seem to be, you know, something that you would receive well, right? Because you'd say, oh, he's just angry and yelling at you. So for some reason, God wired in me when I get passionate like that. I don't get loud. I get quiet and I cry. But that's just how he wired me. That doesn't mean that's how he wired you, right? And so lifting of a hand, I mean... You know, what do, I, what do I do, you know, what do I do with the, you know, our heart follows our hands in so many cases. So it kind of begins with a hand. But so maybe you've worshipped with your hands in the pocket. Maybe, maybe you should be pulling out of that. Um, when I say movement matters, all movement matters. I, even, the, even the most uh, um, um, cautious or, or um, self-conscious people in rooms that gateway 15 years, they still do this. Because it's nearly impossible not to move when there's, when there's music, when there's singing. So worship is celebration. Here's the last one. Um, they never want me to preach before, before they sing because I, I always take up their time and still want to end on time. Um, when I'm at the end, I don't care about time. Um, here's a, so worship is catechism. Worship is celebration. Here's the last one. Worship is courage. Worship leads me forward in God's victory. Worship connects my feet to my heart, to my head, to my Lord. Worship renews my path. All right, so 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is one of my favorite Old Testament passages of Scripture. In brief, three nations have decided they were going to join forces and attack Judah. And so when that news comes to the king Jehoshaphat, when that news comes to him, he calls, and this is my most, most of my experience around fasting is around this kind of fasting. He calls the nation to like a solemn assembly. They're, a nation gathers to pray and to fast, all right? So it's, it's in crisis, and that's most of my fasting that takes place isn't just the January fast. It's some crisis comes up. You got to, I mean, something has to happen, and it's just been in my spirit where I, then I, oh, I'm going to fast for that day. And that's kind of what, that's what's going on. A nation of people standing around and they are, they are fasting. And this is Jehoshaphat's prayer. He says, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God did not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham. Friend, didn't, didn't you? 
They have lived in it and have built in a sanctuary of your name. If calamity comes upon us, whether sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. We'll cry out to you in distress and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as our inheritance? Our God, would you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do you find yourself in positions where you say, I don't know what to do next? I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Here's what he's done. But my eyes are on you. All the men of Judah and their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. You've got to love a posture of prayer when you're waiting for an answer. We don't go reason into a doctor's office, tell them everything that's wrong and say, thank you, where's, show me the way out, right? We want, to, we want to hear an answer, right? We want to hear an answer. Our prayers should, should be spent as much, maybe as much time listening as we are talking, just, just, just a hint, okay, of allowing God to speak to what we've addressed to him in prayer. Okay, then the Spirit of the Lord came, on, came, upon, came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeol, son of Mattaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, who was a psalm writer. As he stood in the assembly, he said, now why, why all that, why do, why do we get his resume? You never hear from Jehaziel before this point. You've never heard from Jehaziel until this point in scripture, and you never hear of Jehaziel again. And God just drops this spirit of answer into this man, and he stands up in front of a whole nation. And with boldness, like a boss, he says, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Remember, worship as courage. So don't be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see, right? We, we don't achieve renewal. We receive renewal, right? Okay? So, um... Take up your positions. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, for the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in what? Worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites, from the Kohathites and Korhathites, so Levites led worship, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice, which is worship. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And I love this part. After consulting the people, so, so after consulting, so I don't know how many people would have been in this consultation, they would have discussed how do we go out and follow the directions of the Lord. Okay? So I know you can read it, but, but just look at me right now. All right? So, Okay, so I can see one person saying, well, they're not expecting us coming. So we should probably maintain this level of surprise. Let's get in our normal battle order and we'll, we'll go out and do this. And I can, someone else saying, okay, well, yeah, I, I can hear that. But, but maybe, I mean, we just got a great word from the Lord. Maybe there should be some worship involved with this. And I go, yeah, so, but, 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 but in keep trying to build consensus, maybe we should do it, you know, meditating. 
It should, we just should instruct everybody on their own to be quiet before the Lord, but go in meditation. But I can hear someone else, Jehoshaphat maybe, saying, I, I get it. I get what you both are saying, but I think we should sing. Man, I've, if he's already done this for us, we're not walking into a battle, right? We're not walking into a battle. We're walking into a victory. Like he's not going to do this. So I think we should start singing from the get-go. And you can hear, yeah, I like that. Right? You get those rooms and someone says something, you're like, that, that's it. Everything else seemed right until that point, that's it. And that's what they do. And so boom, they singers, get in front of the people with the spears. You lead the way. And as the scripture plays out, it says, as they began to sing and worship, the Lord set ambushes, is the word used in the Hebrew, where, where Moab and Ammon decides they turn on the people from Mount Seir. And then after the people from Mount Seir are defeated, then the people of Moab and Ammon, they turn against one another, and so they kill one another. So by the time the singing stops, by the time they march up the path that God had led them to, they overlook the valley and all they see is dead bodies everywhere. And then it gives us a better indication of of the vast number of people because it says then it took them, it took them four days, I think it says, three days, four days, to retrieve all the bounties, which would have been their their clothes, it would have been their weaponry, it would have been their jewelry, any any of that. Listen, they would have had, they would have come with tents, they would have come with possessions, they would have come with horses, they would have come with how to feed themselves, there was all kinds of stuff and it takes them three days to gather all that the Lord presented in front of them and they had fasted, listen, I told you, right, the the, the posture of, of renewal, awareness, something's not right. Ask, offer, that's worship, and then obey, follow. Worship as courage leads us to victory. It connects our feet to our heart, to our head, to our Lord. Put that last slide up, Blake. For all my picture takers, I have all of that on one thing. Three ways to approach worship as a path for renewal. Worship as catechism. Worship renews our mind. Worship as celebration. Worship renews our spirit. Worship as courage. Worship renews our path. And this is why, this is why we flipped it to that. I, I, wanted, I wanted you to worship in the manner in which you were admonished and instructed today. I can't worship for you. I can't come up and raise your hands. I can't pop you when you don't sing loud enough. It's, we're not singing for, for a response. Um, I, I've said this, and I said this to worship teams and worship pastors through the year. Gateway wasn't established to, to, as a gathering place for worshipers. And I know that sounds very sacrilegious. Here's my point. We're here, we're here to lead people to Christ and train and disciple into worship. Which means you don't have to, we're not just trying to go round up every Christian that knows how to worship and drop them in a room so we can have this glorious time. It's about learning and growing. It's about sharing our faith with one another, borrowing our faith. And I'm telling you, it's hard to sit quiet when the person next to you has given you permission to be loud. Right? It's, it's, It's hard to do that. And so my challenge today, my encouragement today is not go through the motions, allow your, your feet, your, I say movement matters. You might come to the altar. We're going to receive communion at the end, so we're not, you don't have to come and grab communion. You might want to come to the altar. You might want to kneel. You, movement matters. 
and allow worship to move you. Not because the music's good, but allow the spirit in the music and the songs and the singing and the lyrics, let it transform the way you renew yourself today. So stand with me. Lord, we are yours, your kids, and we've come to worship you today. Receive our worship today, Father, and renew our spirits, our minds, paths in the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.